A new era in Toronto FC history began on Monday, as well as a new chapter in the career of Michael Bradley. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. Enjoying the sun in Florida is Ivis Galarsep. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. I'm down here in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, I got to tell you, it's pretty beautiful down here. The weather's perfect. I got a hotel on the beach. But unfortunately, I can't enjoy it too much because I'm, 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 you know, busy covering the combine and other and all other stuff. So I've been locked in a hotel for most of the day. I saw that picture. You, you enjoyed it for what? I think it was like twenty seconds, possibly. Or was 20 it twenty? Minutes, or was it twenty minutes. minutes? I couldn't remember. Twenty minutes, uh, you know. But it's it's great down here, getting away from the polar vortex for a few days, and uh, it, you know, kind of fitting because it's it's hot down here and it's hot in American soccer right now with all sorts of stuff to talk about. You've got trades, you've got the draft coming up, you've got Michael Bradley coming back to MLS, mm-hmm. so plenty of stuff to talk about. Well, yeah, the one thing we will talk about, because you're in Florida, is obviously the MLS Combine. We'll get to that in a little bit, but as everyone can tell from the show's description, we have Michael Bradley as a guest on the show, and obviously we have to talk about the biggest news on Monday, Toronto FC bringing out Jermaine Defoe and Michael Bradley. Very glitzy, very exciting press conference, and this is great for the league to see Toronto FC, a franchise that began MLS 2.0, get back to its roots and bring in two big players like this, you know, amongst much fanfare on Monday morning. Well, it's a big step for them, you know, and I know a lot of people want to talk about the money they spend and what does it mean for the league? Is it bad for the league? And I'll tell you what, my, my, my take on it as a, as a whole is this, is that it, it's, a, it's a new, I don't want to say it's a new era because teams have spent money before, but I think it's a clear sign, it's a clear message to the rest of the league that, you know what? It's time to start spending some money. It's it's time to start stepping up and, and going after some big stars. And and you know, stars have come before. We've got Beckham Henry, uh, you know, obviously Clint Dempsey last summer coming back. But you know, for Toronto to step up and realize, look, we need to do something to turn things around. Seven years of misery and ineptitude. Tim Lewicki, the big the big mover, the big shaker in MLS, steps up and says, you know what? We need to do something dramatic. Let's go get two top level players. Doesn't matter what it costs. We're going to spend the money, and and now they've done it. And they they they've splashed the cash, and, and it's a message to the rest of the league's owners that you know what you need to start spending some money as well. There's no excuse for it at all. We talked about this on on the previous show too, Ivis, uh, last week about Toronto FC and how they almost brought in just a whole new roster because let's face it, Toronto FC was not good last year. They brought in some quality players this year, so we're even with the additions of Michael Bradley and Jermaine Defoe. You know, some people may be saying, "Oh, well, you know, these guys are just there to sell tickets. They're there to you know generate money for the club." That's not entirely true. Toronto FC has gone out and brought in some positive players. Look, they have to play on the field, Ivis, because you know having guys on piece of paper that's one thing. You have to play the game, but for Toronto FC though, Ivis, it's nice to see them aggressive in this offseason, making moves to prepare themselves for the 2014 season. And right now, when you look at their roster, they may competing. They may be competing for a playoff spot. Oh, yeah, yeah I think so. I mean, I think just with the players alone, uh, they step right in and should be two of the best players in the league. I mean, Michael Bradley, you can make the argument he's the best player in CONCACAF. I think some people could make that argument. Uh, and then Jermaine Defoe, he just scored a goal this weekend in England. I mean, I know he hasn't scored a ton this year, but he has that quality. He's going to come in. If he gets the service, and even without it, with the speed that he has, he's going to find a share of goal. Uh, you know, so I, I'd say this, look, they're not going to win a title in year one. But they have – that. it's a big step. In MLS, you can turn things around very quickly with a strong offseason. And they've done that. They, they, these aren't the only two signings they've made, as you said. They, you know, they've added several pieces – uh, and as we said last show, it's up to Ryan Nelson to make it all work. And if he doesn't make it all work, they're going to have to make a coaching change. But right now, this is great news for a city, uh, a great sports city 
and, and a great fan base that that's really been beaten up over seven years. I mean, I can tell you, I, I was there. I went. To, I was in Toronto a few times the first year. The, the first years they were in the league, and it was just such a great vibe there. They really had captured the imagination of that city. It's a great sports city. But when you go seven years of of not winning, seven years of not even making the playoffs, seven years of just just terrible soccer. Uh, it, you get what what happened, which is the the fans went away, the fans stopped coming, the fans stopped believing. But these moves clear a clear clear sign that you know they're serious now. They're serious about turning things around. Uh, just a general thought though, Ivis, with, with Toronto FCA, you see reports saying that they're spending close to a hundred million dollars bringing in these two players. What what does this mean for the league and kind of the super uber rich clubs? Does this create more of a separation or? With the new TV deal coming in next year, we'll give more money back. Just kind of, what are your overall thoughts on, on just the outlook of, of the league with with big additions like this? Because we're we're seeing them more frequently than we have in the past. I don't know about that. I don't know that much more frequently. This is what I would say. Uh, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about rich clubs and super clubs and teams that, that have the money, but you know what? I can tell you right now, there isn't a team in the league that has a poor owner, right? There's small. I, yes, there are small market teams, but. A market should not uh, prevent, keep you from being able to spend money. Should not be able to keep you from being ambitious and really investing in your team. And you know, I'll give you the perfect example: Sporting Kansas City. Mm-hmm. You know, Kansas City is not a big market, but they had a, they brought in a new ownership group, you know, a few years back, and totally revi- revitalized that club, built a stadium, won a title, and guess what? On top of all that, they went out and put down a forty million million dollar offer to get. Tra- to get Michael Bradley, and they finished second. They they were close. They were somewhat close, but Toronto obviously spent, spent more money. But the fact is, there's a small market team that hasn't figured out. They're getting it done. They're not afraid to win. And, and it, it was funny to me, and I wrote about it in, in a recent piece about, you know, when, when you think about some of the teams in the league that don't spend money or, or are known historically for not spending money, they have some of the richest owners in the league. Colorado Rapids, Stan Kroenke, New England Revolution, Robert Kraft, these are not poor guys, folks. These people have money. So, uh, you know, you can argue, oh, is it a, is it fiscally responsible? Is it fiscally sound to to invest, you know, close to $100 million into players? You know what? It, it, it depends how you look at it. If if, the, if those signings help them turn it around, help reach their interest in a city, help them win games, help them win games, help them potentially win a title, then what is the cost? What is the price that? What price do you put on that? What price do you put on turning a franchise from a joke into a, a team that matters in a big city? I think there's that's you know, the, I think you can't price that. So from that standpoint, I applaud Toronto for making this move, these moves, and now we're gonna see what these other teams do. Let me follow one thing. Uh, it's not as if it's not as if these quote unquote big spend teams can fill their rosters with these type of players. There's still rules in place, there's still guidelines in place. Three designated players is the limit. So it, it, still, there's still structure there that's keep going to keep teams from just, you know, throwing a billion dollars at a roster. Like, you know, some people wonder if New York City FC is going to do that. Mm-hmm. But it, there's still this structure in place that if you don't want to spend money, you, you, you can still compete, but you have to be smart about it. I mean, Real Sol they they they've done they they've written the blueprint, uh, you know, so it's been done. We're, we're, so the the idea that teams can't compete, I think, is a little you know I don't know if that's completely accurate, but I think we're getting to a point now where everyone has to spend money. Everyone has to spend some money. 
That's right, and some teams will spend that cash. Well, Ivis, on this special day in Toronto, let's welcome on U.S. men's national team midfielder and one of Toronto FC's newest additions, Michael Bradley, who has quite the busy day. Michael, how's everything in Toronto going? It's been great. Um, you know, obviously a, a busy day, a lot going on here. Um, but, you know, to to be here and to, to see the excitement in the city um, has is, is been amazing. You know, really, uh, it really sets in now when you're here and, and, and you're able to, to see the looks on people's faces. And, and, you know, like I said, just really excited to be a part of what's going on here and then can't wait for things to get going. Now, Michael, this, this whole thing seemed to come together pretty quickly. Uh, keep, uh, tell me, wh- when did coming, returning to MLS first become a possibility or an idea for you, and 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 how did this all kind of happen? Yeah, I mean, it happened very quickly. Um, you know, honestly, in the past two weeks or so, um, it just it turned from from an idea or, or some interest into into a reality. And so, um, you know, on my end. Um, you know, when, when I, I learned about Toronto FC's interest and was able to, to speak with Tim Laiwiki and Tim, Tim Bezbachenko and Ryan Nelson, um, I figured out real quickly how, uh, how committed they were to building something special here, how, how motivated they were, how, how excited they were by the, the potential of this club. And, you know, the more I spoke with them, the more I thought about things, um, this is something I wanted to be a part of, you know, the chance to now, come here and take a, a huge role in things um, on the field, off the field, as a player, as a leader. Um, you know, this is, this is something I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to. Well, Michael, you had the chance to stay at Roma or join another European-based club. For you, I mean, you just kind of alluded to it a little bit, but, but maybe expand on kind of what factors went into the decision to join Toronto FC. And- um, look, you know, the, this opportunity came about at the end of the day. It was one that I didn't want to let pass me by. Um, you know, if you had asked me a few years ago if I would be back in MLS at this moment, um, I probably would have answered no. Um, but I think uh, there's certain moments in life when now you have to have the ability to, to forget about everything else and to, and to just look at what's in front of you and then make a decision about what um, what's best for you, about what, what motivates you. And so for me, um, you know, that that's what this is all about. Now, Michael, when uh, when word came over in MLS that there was that possibility of you coming back, there was obviously interest from a few different teams. Uh, from what I understand, at least three other teams made bids for you. Uh, at the end of the day, what what made it what made it Toronto FC, and what, what kind of made them the pick for you, given all the other teams that were interested? In, in speaking with everybody involved with the club, and uh, speaking with you know, Tim Laiwiki and Tim Bezbachenko about the you know their vision about the way they wanted to move things forward, um, you know. Speaking with Ryan Nelson, um, I understood and, and, and realized right away that now um, these were people with with um, drive and ambition that, that matched my eyes. And as a player, that's what you want. You want to you want to somewhere where you're valued, where you are um, surrounded by people who are who are as committed um, to to winning as you as you are. And so for me, the that's what this is all about, you know, the, the chance. Now this year, you, you, you were uh, fortunate enough to play quite a few big games here in the States. Uh, a couple that come to mind, the MLS All-Star game, obviously in Kansas City, and also the, the qualifier in Seattle as two moments that kind of stand out. Did those moments and those kind of experiences maybe open your open your, your mind up a little more to the possibility of coming back? Um, 
Yes and no. Um, you know, listen, playing in, in games like that, um, it certainly showed me that the this sport is continuing to grow in, in, in North America. And I think it, it was something that I already knew. Um, but now to, to be here and, and be in the middle of it and see it firsthand, um, you know, it was, uh, those were, spe- those were special moments. Um, and, and so, you know, look, the league that I'm coming back to uh, is, is a totally different one than the one I left. Um, honestly, I'm not sure there's, there's even a comparison. So, um, I'm, I'm excited to now be back to, to see everything that's changed and to, to, you know, hopefully help continue, uh, helping things grow. Michael, Jurgen Klinsmann has constantly preached that American players need to push themselves in Europe. Have you talked to him yet about your decision? Um, look, Jurgen and I had a good conversation last week. Um, you know, I wanted him to, to hear where things stood for me. I wanted to give him the chance to, to understand, you know, what was, what was going on in my, on in my head. Um, and, and at the end of the day, Jurgen wants guys, uh, who aren't afraid to take risks, who aren't afraid to, um, you know, put everything on the line. Um, who wants guys who, um, are committed to, to, to including themselves as, as players, as people, as leaders. Um, and, and, you know, you want these guys that are ready to that down. And so, um, this is, that's what this is all about. Now, Michael, uh, I'm actually down in Florida at the Combine, uh, ahead of the MLS draft on, on Thursday. Does it, uh, t- 10 years ago you were drafted? Uh, does it feel like it's been 10 years or, and what, what are kind of your, your kind of lasting memories about your time in MLS your first time around? Yeah, like I said, it, it's a three, it's a totally different league now. There's more, you know, there's more teams, there's better stadiums, there's more tension, there's more fans. Uh, so, you know, look, on one hand, I, I'm, I'm lucky because I feel like I have a good idea of, of what to, to expect and, and what the, what this league about. And on the other hand, I think, uh, I'm in for a lot of, you know, pleasant surprises along the way to see exactly how, how things have grown and, and improved along the way. Now, in your time in Europe, you, you, you had the chance to play in, in, a, in a variety of different leagues. Uh, when you first left, I mean, could you, could you have seen kind of that path that you've taken? I mean, is that, would you imagine when you first went over that, that opportunity to be, to be in England and Germany and Italy? Has, has it gone pretty much how, how you hoped when, when it all started out? Uh, every decision I've ever made in my career has been about trying to challenge them to become, to become better. Um, and, and, you know, when I first left, uh, when I left home when I was 14 years old to go to Brazen, um, and, 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 you know, at, at 18 when I left to go to Europe, um, these were, these were big decisions, but, Big decisions that were made with the idea of me uh, challenging myself and improving. And so, um, you know, whether every every step I've made along the way has has been about, about that, and, and, and this one is no different. Now, Michael, I'm going to take you back a bit uh, to you mentioned Bradenton, uh, so I have to ask about this. Now, when you left, when you graduated from Bradenton, you had, you had the options of either going to college, you could, I think Princeton, and maybe Duke were options for you. Or you had the option to, to sign with MLS and, and sign a, you know, Project 40 deal that was, you know, I think less than $30,000. And, and as a 16 year old, you made that decision to go pro and then pass on, on the college opportunity. 
And I think Bob kind of left it up to you to do that. Can you remember back to that decision and, 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 uh, could you have seen your career kind of getting, going the way it's gone when you made that? Is this kind of what you envisioned when you were that 16 year old deciding to turn pro? Um, yeah, I mean, look, for me, uh, the, that, that decision, um, wasn't really a decision. Um, that was, that was always what I was going to do. That was what I was, was determined to do to become a professional. And so, um, you know, as I, as I said, everything I've done in my career has, has always been about trying to, to better myself. And so, you know, the, the, step, the steps along the way, the twists and the turns, uh, you know, nobody can predict those for you. And so, you know, that's what I said before. If you had asked me a few years ago, I'd back and I'm like now, I probably would have said no. But that's that, <laughs> irrelevant at the moment because, you know, when, when, when this opportunity came about, um, I looked at everything and said that this was something that, um, you know, excited me and motivated me in, uh, in a big, big way. There's, there seems to be a lot of concern, I think, among U.S. fans about you coming back and whether it's going to affect your level of play. Does that surprise you a bit? And you think that's maybe not giving the league enough credit, maybe MLS enough credit for the quality that, that it does have? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we can talk about how, you know, MLS maybe isn't, uh, at the, um, of the topics in Europe. Um, you know, and I think, Everybody would probably agree that that's the case. You know, there's still, still, you know, a little bit of work to be done. Um, but MLS is a competitive league. It's a hard league. It's demanding. Um, it's, it's punishing. And so, you know, the, this idea that guys can, can walk into the league and, and do whatever they want and, and have success is, it couldn't be farther from the truth. And so, you know, I, I realize that now, um, you know, coming back is going to, is gonna um, you know require me and everything I have every 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 time I step on the field to prove to to anybody watching what I'm all about. Well, Michael, it's been a busy Monday for you and Ivis, and I really appreciate you jumping on the show with us. We'll let you get back to the uh, Toronto Raptors game. Thanks for jumping on with us. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Ivis, that was some good stuff with Michael Bradley right there. You know, the one the one thing that I found so interesting about this whole this whole deal with with Toronto. In Michael Bradley is this small group of people, Ivis, who are just bashing the deal. It seems a little ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you, I don't think it's a small group. I think it's a pretty large group of U.S. fans that are nervous and worried about uh, Michael Bradley's form taking a hit uh, because he's dropping down a level going from Serie A, which is obviously one of the top leagues in the world, to MLS. And, you know, I think he, he made a good point that, you know, it, it's not MLS is not on par with one of the top leagues in the world. It's not. I mean, we can, we, you know, I don't think anyone, anyone tries to say that. Uh, I know it's, it's the kind of, you know, inconvenient truth that people don't like to talk about, but it's reality. Bradley put it out there. It's clear as day. Everyone say that. That being said, it's still a tough league. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy league that you're just going to walk in and dominate. And I think he knows that. And, you know, he's the type of player that I think is going to take that challenge on. And, you know, he's also a player who has a lot of expectations now. He has a mm-hmm. lot on his shoulders. He, you know, he has to live up. So the fact that he is now the second highest paid player in the history of the league, uh, and there's a lot of already scrutiny already around the league. There's a lot of scrutiny over this deal. There are a lot of teams complaining about just how much money has been spent on Bradley and Jermaine Defoe. When you talk about the you know more than ninety million dollars combined that that's been in, uh, invested in these two players, so 
he he has a lot of pressure on his shoulders. But again, we're talking about a player who has you know faced challenges throughout his career. Mm-hmm. You know, from when he was a rookie, having to be you know fa- deal with being a coach's son, to you know earning that that starting spot, to going to Europe, having to prove himself over and over again in different leagues with different managers. And every time, you know, he faced the challenge. He faced it in the Netherlands, faced it in Germany, faced it in Italy. He's done it, and he's succeeded over and over. This is a guy who's just all the consummate professionals, so committed. And you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I I see him coming in and being a star in this league. Yeah, you know, the one thing that's going to be interesting, the one thing with Mike, Michael Bradley Ivis is he becomes a leader, and you saw that in Italy with you know with the way press called him, you know, General Bradley, uh, you know, for his first exploits in Serie A. But the one thing that's going to be interesting, Ivis, is, is you could already feel the rumbling starting to begin if, let's say, Toronto FC starts off to a little bit of a slow start. You know, you're going to have those naysayers that are going to come out, and they're going to add fuel to the fire. Toronto, man, they're you're right. They're going to be under the microscope for like for right now. They are under the microscope for the rest of the season. Right, but at the same time, I don't think that's I don't think Michael Bradley cares about that stuff. I don't think uh, I don't think that's going to affect him one way or the other. I don't think it's going to affect Jermaine Defoe and. <clears throat> Certainly won't affect Defoe. I mean, he's coming over from England, uh, the English Premier League, where you know players are scrutinized on a daily basis. So, uh, you know, the pressure will be on them to to succeed and to do well. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people are going to wait to see if if Bradley can in fact live up to that that billing now, live up to the you know the pressure of being that marquee player. And I think he's going to do it. I mean, he's 26, he's in his prime, excellent player. I think he's going to dominate the middle. In MLS, and uh, I think he's the reason why in year one of this this big turnover at, at Toronto, I think TFC, you have to look at them as a, as, as a contender for the playoffs. Well, Ivis, it's funny that you mentioned the draft with Michael Bradley uh, earlier in the interview because 10 years ago he was selected as the 36th overall pick by the Metro Stars in the 2004 MLS Super Draft. The reason why we're talking about this is because you're in Florida right now checking out the MLS Combine the Super Draft is on Thursday in Philadelphia, but to the present at hand, Ivis, down in Florida, you've had a chance to cover the Combine the last two days. Give us the latest on what you have seen down in Florida. Well, I think it's uh, pretty much what we thought coming into this Combine, that, that it's, a, it's, a, it's a draft pool heavy on defenders, heavy on center backs specifically, and light on quality attacking players. You know, If you're a team coming into this draft needing attacking help, uh, the pickings are slim. And, uh, you know, I think all the teams around the league are realizing that fact. And, you know, they're focusing on what the strengths are. And, you know, if you, it just comes down to it. If you need a center back you, and you have picks in the first round, chances are you're going to get a guy you like. If you need a winger, if you need like a specific, you know, whether it's a winger or an attacking midfielder, you're out of luck. You know, this is not the draft. Find those. There are a couple of intriguing forwards, I think, that could, that could give you something. Uh, you know, obviously, Shilo Shuma is someone who could potentially be a winger. Uh, that that makes an impact, but it, pickings are a little slim, especially if you need attacking help. Well, Avis, you always keep talking about how this draft is mostly a center back uh, dominated draft. For what you've seen, because because day one is is we've you've talked about this before. Day one is kind of a little jittery for some players, are still learning how to play with people. But you always said that day two is kind of really the day that scouts pay attention to. From what you've seen, though, always mentioning how this is a center back draft. How, how are some guys looking like? Christian Dean, excuse me, or are there any guys who have kind of caught your eye, maybe kind of climbing up the charts of your uh, your big board? Well, I'm not going to reveal uh, any. Oh, come anything. on, Ivis. Uh, well, we I put a uh, I put a new big board out on Saturday, which incorporated some of the observations from from Friday's opening games. Uh, the next big board will come out on Wednesday. 
but I would say, I mean, the, the, the center back pool is deep. I mean, we're talking mm-hmm. a dozen or so center backs who could, you know, be first or early second round picks. And, uh, you know, they're higher end guys that are obviously more well-known, more established. You want to talk about a Steve Birnbaum as someone who's ready to go, I think, starting day one. Uh, but then you also have some players with upside that, that are, are more long-term projected picks, like Damian Lowe, who's caught the attention of some scouts with uh, with his uh, his upside, his ability at, at a young age and, and, and room to grow. Uh, Christian Dean is another player, a player with major upside. Mm-hmm. He's had – the issue with Christian Dean has been he's played – after two days and two games, he's played a game and a half at left back, which is not his natural position. Uh, some people wanted to see him a left back, but it's pretty clear – He's not a player who can play left back on the next level. He's going to be a center back. He's going to be anything else. And even with those struggles, a lot of teams have, most teams have him pretty high, high up because at the end of the day, as one coach told me, you can't teach six, three, super athletic and left footed. That combination, <laughs> that combination is going to, going to get a lot of teams interested. And I think for that reason, even with the shakiness playing left back in these first couple of days, He's still someone who's going to be a, a top five pick. Uh, moving away from center back and looking at the other positions in the draft, how are some other guys looking? Nivis, recent guests of the show, Patrick Mullins, other guys that maybe have impressed Andre Lewis, Marco Franco, Andre Blake. Kind of what's the overall guys non playing center back? How, how are they looking? Well, I, I mean, I think the best player at the draft at the combine so far, uh, the one who's impressed the most is Andre Blake, the goalkeeper from UConn. He's someone who came in highly rated. You know, I had him, I had him as a top three player, uh, on the big board. Uh, and he's someone who right now, if you, if you took a poll, he's probably the consensus number one talent in the pool, in the, in the draft. Uh, and, and for that reason, I, I think you could see some teams, tra- teams trade up with DC United, try to get the number one pick away from DC to take Blake. Uh, he's someone who's put himself in that position. Uh, another player you named Andre Lewis, the young Jamaican player. He's definitely caught people's eye because he's a he's a uh, dynamic midfielder. Can get all over the field. Uh, there's some questions about where exactly do you play him. Uh, so it's not a slam dunk with him. We're not we're not saying the kid's going to be a top five pick or anything like that. But he's probably playing himself into consideration for a first round pick just because of all the qualities that he's shown and the fact that he's only 19. So I mean, those are two guys that stand out. You mentioned Marco Franco. He's someone who, for me, I've been I've been extremely impressed with him because as far as first of all there's only three natural fullbacks in this in this at the combine uh but I, I for me he's been the most impressive i just think he's his skill on the ball his ability to get forward he's got some quickness to him he is for me he's the best fullback here i think most i think a lot of people would go with eric miller eric miller's versatile he can play both both left back and right back uh, but for me, for my money i tell you what marco franco has really shown quite a bit and if anyone's looking for further observations made by Ivis. You can go to soccerbyivis.net. It's on the top headlines on the right-hand side. Just stay up there for the next day or two. It's MLS Combine Match Day 2 Observations. That's the title of the article. Ivis, of course, with the MLS Superdraft, teams are going to be looking to increase their fortunes for the upcoming season. Lots of trade talk. Can you give us any latest fronts uh, of teams looking to make some moves? Well, I can tell you that, I mean, obviously, we are, we already had the one big trade on uh on Monday, that was announced. Actually, it was announced on Monday morning. Uh, I, I broke it on Sunday evening on Goal, on Goal.com, and that was the Columbus Crew acquiring the rights to Michael Parkhurst in exchange for the number four overall pick in the draft and allocation money. It's a big deal for uh, for the Crew. They they land a quality defender in Michael Parkhurst, someone who when he was in the when he was in MLS before 
was one of the best center backs in the league. You know, just just a consummate quality defender. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he plays exactly for the crew because, I mean, he's already shown he can play center back in MLS, but he's been playing right back in Europe. Does, uh, you know, does Greg Berhalter decide to keep him at right back? Does he play him at center back? That bears watching, but it's a big upgrade for the Columbus Crew defense. And for New England now, once again, second year in a row, wheeling and dealing. Last year, if you recall, he, they traded up to the number one pick and selected Andrew Farrell, who was the consensus favorite player in the draft, the, you know, the, the top player in the draft. Uh, this time around, they could be positioning themselves to do that again. Right now, they're sitting at number four. They have three first-round picks, and they can absolutely uh, put a package deal together to move up to that number one spot. And you know, for me, if they if they do make that move, they, they I mean, they're a team that you can see taking Andre Blake and seeing him as a long-term project. You know, and it's funny that you mentioned Michael Parkhurst. You know, that was just kind of you know, you know, not not swept under the radar, but just kind of snuck in there with all the Michael Bradley news that came out today. Another piece of news that came out on Monday, Ivis Taylor Twelman uh, tweeted out that Marisa Du is in negotiations to come back to Major League Soccer. Ivis, what's the latest on this? Well, yeah, that was definitely the, one of the big talking points here in Fort Lauderdale on Monday evening. Uh, a lot of buzz surrounding Maurice Du and his potential return. And from what I can tell you, and the people listening to the show may have already read this on Goal.com. I'm planning to write it and hopefully have it up on the site in the morning. But in case you haven't seen that yet and you're hearing it for the first time, the Philadelphia Union are making a push for Maurice Du. They're trying to line up a deal to bring him to back to MLS. And uh, right now there's some questions about whether the money is going to be uh, uh, an amount that MLS can agree on with Idu. Uh, from what sources, multiple sources have told me, uh, Maurice Sadu is looking for a deal in the neighborhood of $1.5 million a year, which, you know, generally speaking, sounds like a lot. But now when, when you have a Michael Bradley securing a deal of $6.5 million a year, and I can confirm that that the uh, Michael Bradley's contract uh, all totaled, from what my sources tell me, six years, $40 million. So with that high bar being set, now you have new players coming in, and they want more money. And Maurice Du is one of those players. He wants one and a half million. Seems like the Phil- from all accounts, the Philadelphia Union are ready to pay that. But it's up to the league to okay it, sign off on on that amount. And that's gonna it's gonna lead to some interesting uh, you know decision making there by the league. Uh, you know, if you're MLS and you just signed off on a on a on a deal that that pays Michael Bradley forty million dollars, uh, how do you turn around and then say to the Philadelphia Union, you know what? We're not going to let you spend 1.5 million. I think that's uh, that's a bit of a tough one. So uh, I think when push comes to shove, if you're MLS, you kind of have to let it happen. Uh, especially a team like the Union, who uh, you know they've been a bit notorious for not spending, and here they are trying to spend money, trying to you know improve their team. And uh, it, you know they were a bidder in the Michael Bradley sweepstakes. I wouldn't say they were close to getting it done, but they have shown that they want to spend some money. If you're MLS, you kind of have to let them do it. So that one bears watching. Uh, if, if, if the union can get Maurice to do, I mean, I think that'd be a huge addition for them, exactly what they need. And, uh, you know, I think it's, right. I, I, I would, I would like to point out that's one part that there, there will be other moving parts to that deal when it happens. Well, for Maurice to do, this would be huge. I have he needs games. He needs to get back into Jurgen Klinsmann's picture for Brazil. I mean, that roster is that, that, that depth chart that Jurgen has is, is shortening. And Maurice to do, I mean, at Stoke City, obviously that did not work out well for him. So for him, Coming to the unit, he's going to get games right away, and that's going to be good for him to get back in into Jurgen Klinsmann's eye. Without a doubt, I think that's the goal. You know, he, he you know he played in, he played in the 2010 World Cup, 
had some great appearances coming off the bench. And if he wants to go back, he has to make a move like that. He has to go somewhere. Uh, I know that there was also talk of, a, of an offer from a Turkish team as well that he could consider if the MLS deal falls through. But MLS makes a lot of sense for the same reasons that I think, you know, Michael Bradley said, uh, you know, his move makes sense. You're going to get steady games. It's a tougher league than people give it credit for being. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a case where he's going to fall off and not be able to compete in MLS in the World Cup. I think that's a little silly. Uh, so again, it's up to M- MLS to to sign off, and I, I think it is a little encouraging. If you're a union mm-hmm. fan, right? I know a lot of union fans were up in arms over the fact that uh, the union were not close in the Bradley sweepstakes. And you know what? It, 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 let's face it, not, no one. No one else in MLS was going to spend what Toronto FC spent. That's just, at the end of the day, they just they whipped it out. They whipped out the checkbook, and they got it done. And you got to give them the credit for that. But the union are clearly trying to spend here. Uh, Mauricio Du is a player that I think that you want to you want to bring back to MLS. I think he has the quality to, to make the union better. So hopefully that trade happens. And uh, I think, like as I said, I think that's one deal of a series of deals that could end up happening. Uh, you know, it's just generated a thought in my mind and that was Jermaine Jones. There hasn't been much on, on just kind of news coming out regarding his transfer, but he did express Ivis a desire maybe to possibly come back to Major League Soccer. And I'm not saying he's coming back to Major League Soccer, but you wonder. Let's just say Maurice Du comes back for one point five million, Bradley six point five. You wonder where Jermaine Jones, if he came back, where he would fit into that category. Well, I can tell you from what I know and from what I've heard from my sources that Jermaine Jones actually wants considerably more than what Marisa Du is asking for. And for that reason, I don't think Jermaine Jones is coming to MLS. Uh, I, I think his just the, his price range, what he's used to what he's used to having been paid, the fact that he knows yeah. what Michael Bradley's been paid, I'm sure he, he looks at it and thinks, well if Michael Bradley is six point five, I'm six point five you know like he, he doesn't, <laughs> that was he doesn't, horrible. He, he, he doesn't understand if Michael's worth six point five, I'm worth six point five. No listen, but again so Jermaine Jones, I don't think he's coming up with until unless he has an aha moment and decides, you know what, I don't care about the money. I've made a lot of money. I just want to live in L.A. I just want to live in somewhere in America and enjoy life in America mm-hmm. with my kids. Unless he wakes up and has that moment, I don't see him coming up with I think I think he can still make quite a bit of money somewhere else in Europe. Uh, so you know, I don't. I don't think at this point. I, th- I don't think Jermaine Jones is going to be a good fit. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't see him getting Michael Bradley money. But Jermaine Jones, regardless, though, Ivis, is there any news on his transfer to maybe staying in Europe or staying at Schalke? Anything? Uh, well, I, I, I think he's leaving Schalke. I think that that's pretty much done. Uh, but there's no. I mean, I haven't heard any news yet on that. I, I can just speak to what I've heard on the MLS front. I just know that he's asked for a lot of money, and it's just not—it's just not the kind of money that te- I think teams are going to pay for. For you know, uh, what I would say is, I mean, I've heard rumblings of a, of a pretty high, high, uh, high price forward that uh, FC Dallas was in the market for. Uh, that deal uh, fell through. I think actually that fell through a little while ago, and it kind of uh, flew under the radar. But for Jermaine Jones, for you know, if he if he is in fact asking for let's say three million, four million a year. Uh, that's just that's just not realistic money. I mean, you know, obviously Michael Bradley is a American. I mean, uh, you know, MLS, uh, MLS uh, born and bred player, uh, U.S. national team since he was a teenager. Uh, he has a bit more of a history. He's also in his prime, 26 years old. He's just a more marketable figure uh, and just a more just he's just worth that. He's just worth more on the market on the American market that Jermaine Jones is worth. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, I, I, as I said, unless Jermaine Jones 
wakes up one day and says, you know what, I just want to live in America. I want my kids to live in America. I'll play for, you know, whatever, not whatever non-DP money they want to offer me. Unless he decides that, I don't, I really, I just don't see him coming because I don't see any, I don't see a team in MLS uh, paying him designated player money. Well, and the other thing too with Michael Bradley, he hasn't had to do it the last two years in Italy, but he can score goals, Ivis. We've seen him score some wonder goals for the U.S. men's national team, especially when he was in Europe in the early stages of his career. I mean, he can score goals. He can contribute on the offensive end. Jermaine Jones, I, I don't think as much. Right. I mean, I think Brad, that's the thing. I think people are going to realize about Bradley is I think, you know, Brad, he can have, he's a, he's a box to box midfielder. He's not just a, someone who you anchor in front of the defense. I mean, he can play that role if he has to, but I think in MLS, I think he can absolutely give be that box to box player contributes to the attack, scores a good number of goals. Uh, he, he's like, he's that player. Now, Jermaine Jones, I don't like, he's, I agree with you. I don't think he's that player. He doesn't bring as much to the attack. Another story you and I, Ivis, have been keeping our eye on. That is the Colorado FC Dallas coaching situation finally uh, became official something that you reported on goal.com last week Oscar Brea will join FC Dallas that leaves Colorado without a coach Ivis what's the latest on this who do you think is amongst the leading candidates to take over for the Rapids in 2014 well uh, Alexi Lalas ESPN analyst uh, tweeted out on the I believe it was Saturday that uh, Pablo Mastroeni is uh, looking like someone who's in line to become the head coach of the of the Colorado Rapids. That that's a rumor that is definitely yeah growing legs. And uh, you know, if at this point, based on what I'm hearing, if I were a betting man, I would bet on that happening. And uh, you know, I, what I would say is, uh, I, I'm was he their top choice? I, I'd be curious about that. I mean, I know you know teams rarely will ever say, oh, you know, this coach was our top choice, not our top choice, but. Based on what I have gathered, I mean, I think if the timing of the Pareja uh, decision and the Pareja deal had been a little better, I think they would have been in a better position to go after certain other candidates, one of them being Robin Frazier. But, you know, with the timing being what it was and it taking so long, I think they, they had to go in another direction. And Pablo Astoreni is a, is a good, you know, good option if you're the Rapids when you think about, I mean, hey, he doesn't really have experience, but. He's obviously a legend for the Rapids, uh, you know, unquestioned history with the club. And, and that's something that that's something the Rapids, you know, were really uh, looking for, which is someone with ties to the club, uh, someone who cares about the club and, and, and is actually going to want to make it a long term commitment, uh, you know, especially after what just happened with Oscar Pereja. I think that meant more to them than anything. And, you know, it's part of the reason why. Uh, there was speculation that two of the other candidates for the job were former Rapids players, and I think there was that sentiment that they want someone who who is who has worn the jersey, who has worn the shield, and 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 has 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 represented the club on that on on the field, and and could have that connection to the team. And who better to 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 fill that role than Pablo Mastroeni? Uh, the one thing, well, first off, Pablo's from Arizona, so Phoenix. I mean, I totally approve of that move, Ivis, to begin with. But the one thing with Colorado, though, with their young players there, and, and the kind of that nucleus. Do you think this whole situation with Oscar Prey is going to affect them on the field, or is this be something that's just going to be completely forgotten by March? Well, I don't think a coach leaving is going to, you know, this isn't a U12 team. These are these are grown men, right? I mean, I, th- I think they'll deal with it. I mean, it's pro sports. It's, it is a young team, but I think, you know, these guys have all dealt with having to play for different coaches. What it, the, the key is going to be, if, if in fact, Mastroeni is the coach, and he, and he hasn't been named coach yet, Maybe it doesn't happen. But if he is named the head coach and he becomes a head coach, we're talking about a guy who does not have head coaching experience. Is he going to be able to handle the job? And, you know, if he, if he, if he, you know, lands on his feet, if he picks 
it up quickly, yes, it, you know, they, it could be a smooth transition, but it's not. It's it doesn't always work that way, right? I mean, we're talking about uh, a pretty abrupt transition for a player who just retired. You know, I mean, when you talk about some of these other coaches who who have stepped in with not with no little to no experience, they've generally had a few years away from the game as a player. I mean, you take someone like Petke, you know, he put in years uh, as an assistant coach, as an apprentice under uh, Hans Baca. Uh, Jay Heaps had stepped away from the game for some time. So, you know, all, all these coaches that, that didn't have – or, Caleb, you know, Caleb Porter had coached in college, so you can't even call him an inexperienced head coach. He had, he had several years under his belt. So Mastroeni's situation is a little, little unique. You know, it's not a slam dunk that he's going to be a success. Having said that, all you hear about Mastroeni is, is what a class act he is, class individual, and you know the, rap, the Rapids organization means something to him, and it's something that, you know, he's going to work hard to, to help succeed. Well, I was because we didn't have a weekend show. We didn't have a chance to talk about this. You know, as we've mentioned before, you reported it on Gold.com that Oscar Pereira would join FC Dallas. Well, it became official on Friday that Oscar Pereira did, in fact, join FC Dallas. The, the legend, the icon returns as manager, though. He's not a player this time. He's a manager. What should fans at Big D expect out of Oscar Pereira? Well, I think FC uh, Dallas fans... Uh, you know, the diehards, the ones that have supported the club for a long time, they already know all about Oscar Pereja, someone who was a beloved player there, uh, you know, just a guy who would leave, leave it all on the field and, and put his heart into the game and represented the team well. He was a fan favorite for a reason. And then, obviously, he moved over, uh, worked as an assistant. He helped build up their youth academies. Uh, so he is really ingrained in the club. And, and I think you're talking about a, a coach who, who loves this team. And, you know, it's why he's there now. It's why he pushed to get out of Colorado. No offense to the Rapids, but this is where Pereira really belonged. It's where he, where he was meant to be, and I think it's going to be a good fit. I think they, he's exactly what they needed. I think they've been in a funk for a few years now. You know, Shell, I don't think – I just don't think Shellis Hyman ha, ha, ha really had what – had the connection to the players on the professional level. Uh, I don't think he had it all figured out, and, and I, think, I think he was exposed a bit as a coach on the highest level. Um, and, and I think Pereira has someone who's a, a little better equipped uh, to, to, to have success on that level. And, and it's going to be tough, right? I think he has to work on this roster. Uh, you know, he's leaving behind a really talented and young Colorado roster. This FC Dallas team has some talent on it, uh, but I, I do think they still need to go make some moves. But Pereja, he showed last year what a, go, what a coach, he, what a good coach he can be. And I think now that he's gone home, so to speak, uh, you know, yeah, I think he's going to help the Dallas turn things around. Well, Ivis, that closes out the show today. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't do a good enough job as producer to remind you to send out a tweet for the SBI Q&A. I apologize. But I am doing a good job as a producer getting all these excellent guests. So at least I'm I'm doing something for the show. <laughs> there you go. Finding, finding ways to contribute positively. positively. That's, why, that's why you make the big bucks. Exactly, man. You, you, know, you, you know what that's about. All right, man. It's it's late for you. You need to go to bed because you got to still uh, get ready for the combine and head back up to Philadelphia for the draft and all that. So I'll, I'll let you go, Ivis. All right. And uh, just to let everybody know, the uh, final day of the MLS combine is on Tuesday. And uh, I'll offer up some final uh, observations on day three. Uh, and Wednesday will be the big day on SBI for you to check out our final uh, big board in our final mock draft as uh, you you know as you prepare to see who your team uh, what which players your team uh, is, is going to take on in the draft and uh, 
it, as much I say this, as much as, as there's mm-hmm. not a ton of attacking talent in this draft, it is a bit of a weak draft in that regard. I think there's I think there's the intrigue is in the fact that there's a lot of dealing and wheeling and dealing going on. Uh, a lot of teams looking to shuffle, move up and down, go after the players they want, or trade out uh, and try to make some money. So uh, I think these next uh, 48 hours are going to be pretty, are not going to be boring. And to keep up with all the latest news from Florida and from the MLS Combine Draft, Super Draft, and all that, remember check out soccerbyivis.net and follow Ivis on Twitter at soccerbyivis. All right, I, so many Ivises right there, too too many. So Ivis. I'll let you go to bed, man, and I'll catch up with you later this week. I, I think we'll have a show before, one final show before the MLS Super Draft later this week, right? Uh, that's a tough one. You know, the draft is, is at noon on Thursday, so uh, maybe we'll have a we'll throw together a, a, a draft special on Tuesday night and have that go on, on Wednesday as well. I'd be down for that. All right, Ivis, well, I'll let you go, man. You have a good night. As always, everyone, thank you for listening. This is the SBS Show.